is well with our soul. And the reason it's well with our soul, God, is because you reign and you are our God. Now, Father, we pray that you will enlighten us from your word today, that you will use it to encourage us to lift our spirits and that it will bring your name glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to the gospel according to St. Luke, verse 24, and I want to begin reading at verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanquished, vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I want to preach today from the subject Post-resurrection impact. Post-resurrection impact. This is a a tremendous story here in Luke chapter 24 for uh, we find that two of his disciples, two of the disciples of Jesus, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, are completely unaware of the reality that Jesus has risen from the dead. In their minds are lodged all of the atrocities from Friday. And so now they are leaving the city of Jerusalem because they have no idea that Jesus has risen from the dead and they're going towards the village called Emmaus. So here they are in the text. They're walking and they're talking about the weekend and how it had been a total disaster in their minds. As far as they were concerned, it was curtain time. The momentum of the movement came to a screeching halt on Friday when they witnessed Jesus hanging on the cross, suffering and bleeding and dying. So they're leaving. Besides, it was dangerous for the followers, anybody remotely associated with Jesus, it was dangerous for them to be seen around Jerusalem because the city reeked with the residue of hatred, havoc, and hostility. Jesus had just been crucified. The religious as well as the Roman officials, you know, the soldiers and the leaders were still disgusted with Jesus, with his whole movement. Therefore, anyone identified as 
that's remotely being associated with Jesus or his cause was in grave danger. So these two disciples decided that it was best for them to put the past behind them and to just move on. Yet as they journeyed, something completely out of the ordinary happened. That is, in verses 15 and 16 of Luke 24, recounts Jesus drew near them and he went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not recognize who he was. Nevertheless, Jesus spoke to them in verse 17, asking, what are you talking about as you walk and why are you so sad? One of them, named Cleopas, responded to Jesus' question with a question of his own. In his question, he asked, are you the only one in Jerusalem that does not know what has happened? The things that took place the past few days, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, he was a prophet. He was mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. They crucified him. In other words, how could you miss that? Are you the only one here that does not know this story? But not only that, did they crucify We were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that. In fact, you know, Peter and James and John had sold their fishing business and others of us were, were doing pretty well, but we were really hoping that he was the one. This reminds me of Langston Hughes' poem entitled A Dream Deferred. Hughes asked the question, what happens to a dream deferred? The speculative reaction to Hughes' question fits the place of the disciples at this distressing junction in their life and that Hughes wrote, maybe it just sags like a heavy load. But that's where Cleopas and the other disciple, that's where they are right now. Uh, they are sagging this whole resurrection issue. The whole past three years is sagging on them like a heavy load. Under the heavy load of despair, the disciples talking with Jesus, saying, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened and certain women of our company went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. But they did say they saw a vision of angels who said to them, he is alive. Some of our brethren went to the tomb and they found it empty as well. But as the women said, Jesus, they did not see. After allowing the disciples to vent their case, and how many of you know that, that Jesus is very good still today at allowing us to vent, to vent our cases, to cry, to complain. After following the disciples, 
and allowing them to vent their, their concerns, their case uninterrupted, Jesus says to them in verses 25 and 26, all foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with verse 27 of the text, Jesus uh, preaches to them, teaches them about Moses and all the prophets, and he opens up the scriptures to them so that they could understand. So as they approach the village of uh, the pro of Emmaus, where which was their a destination, Jesus indicated. I tried to figure this out in my mind. He probably motioned. He probably kept walking as though he was going to just keep going and leave them alone. But the two of his disciples constrained him, saying, "Stay with us." And then they reason, it's, it's almost evening. In other words, don't need you traveling. It's almost dark. It's, it's dangerous out there. So why don't you just stay with us? So Jesus went with them, and later while they were at the table. You remember that scene? They, they were at the table when Jesus had the table with his disciples. Well, it's a recreation later that evening. They were at the table, and Jesus took bread. And he blessed the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his two disciples. And verse 31 states, then their eyes were open and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. I want you to notice something here in this text. As I pondered this, this leaped off the page at me. Notice it was not a superficial brush with Jesus that led to the opening of the disciples' eyes. It was not just a casual touch. Nor was it shallow contact that led to the opening of their eyes. Rather, their eyes were open when they genuinely, authentically, faithfully, uninterruptedly spent time communing in the presence of Jesus. Listen, if we want our eyes open and if we want to see Jesus, we must spend time with him, not superficial time. Not a casual touch, not shallow time, but real, intimate, intentional time with him. Then we will see him. At that point, their relationship with the Lord skyrocketed to another level. In other words, the resurrection didn't just happen. And then cease to exist. No, the contrary. The resurrection happened and then it made significant impact upon the lives of Cleopas and the other disciples. Now from this remarkable resurrection story, 
there are four impacts of the resurrection that we need to examine. And the reason we need to examine them is because we need to understand that the resurrection and the celebration of the resurrection is not a one-time event, but its impact is residual. It happens over and over and over again, 365 days per year until we celebrate Easter next year. Can I tell you something? The world doesn't see it that way. You go to the stores now who once were all in a hoopla about what they call Easter or they might say resurrection, but, but, but now the signs are gone. The bunny rabbits have been put away. The Easter eggs are gone. There's no more Easter or resurrection. Music and secular society has moved on to the next thing. Such should not be the case for us as Christians. We should live the resurrection and we should live Easter every single day because it should be impacting our lives. And so just four impacts today. Impact one from the resurrection. Jesus meets us where we are. Notice verse 15 states. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus met them where they were. Well, where were they? They were doubting, but Jesus met them. They were, they were discouraged, but Jesus met them. They were disillusioned about the whole event of, of, of the past weekend, but Jesus met them. They were totally disappointed, but Jesus met them. They were depressed, sad, but Jesus met them. They were denied, but Jesus met them. Verse 17 informs us that they were sad, yet Jesus met them. Watch this. Drew near to them, went with them, abided with them, stayed with them as they were going through. Impact of the resurrection. Say so that Jesus is with us even while we go through. You see, isn't it good to know we have a Savior who does not abandon us during hard times, during difficult times, during challenging times? Isn't it good to know that we have a Savior in Jesus who does not push back, push away, or even put us off when circumstances and situations surrounding us are so messy to the point that some people, even family and friends, would not touch us with a 10-foot pole. We ought to shout hallelujah. 
praise the holy name of Jesus because he is a savior who comes to us, who abides with us, even when we tread tempting, turbulent, and troubling waters, he is right there. right there. The 17th century hymn writer John Rippon in his reiteration of the words of Isaiah 41 and 10 captures the essence of verse 15 in a hymn entitled How Firm a Foundation. This hymn is so special to me because at my senior sermon in 1981 at Virginia Union University Graduate School of Theology, I preached before my classmates and faculty and staff, and I used this hymn as my own testimony to the power of God in the lives of those who trust him. Hymn writer wrote, how firm a foundation in the second stanza says, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will still give you aid, and I'll strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Ripping goes on to conclude in the fourth stanza, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes that soul though all hell should endeavor to shake I'll never no never no never forsake resurrection impact one is that Jesus never forsakes us the signs and the stars are gone the bunny rabbits are gone the pretty Easter dresses are gone the advertisements are all gone but Jesus is still there impacting our lives with his presence even when we go through the valley he walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us that we are his own and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Impact to Jesus endows believers with his passion. No one can generally meet Jesus and not be endowed with his passion. Verse 32 states, and they said to one another, listen at the passion after meeting Jesus, after this post-resurrectional impact, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? You see, by their own testimony, these disciples have been radically transformed because Jesus had walked with them and talked with them. They had traveled from tragedy to triumph. Because Jesus walked with them and talked with them, they had transitioned from being victims to being victors. Because Jesus walked with them and talked with them, they turned from depression to devotion. Jesus ignited within them a burning desire to love and to serve God with deep and abiding passion. Here's a rhetorical question to ponder. How about you? Have you had any mayor's road experience? Have you had a Christ encounter? Is there a burden in 
your heart concerning the things of God. As I said here this morning, I thought about this. Are you passionate about worship? I looked out into your faces this morning and I said, yes, you, you are. You, you're here early in the morning. You must be passionate about worship, about being in the presence of God with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Why else would you get out of the bed early on Sunday morning, particularly after you've worked all week long? Yes. You love Jesus with a passion. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ with a passion? Do you have a burning desire in your heart to give of your time, your talent, your treasures to support God's kingdom agenda? Obviously, you, you do because you've been given to the wells in Uganda. You did that this morning. Obviously, you do because you helped the Baptist church in Tortola, British Virgin Islands to rebuild after the storm. Obviously, you do because some of you are traveling to Tortola to worship with them and to celebrate in just a couple of weeks. See, when you have a burning passion for the things of God, rest assured that you have been impacted by the resurrection. It means that the resurrection is not just something that happens once a a year like it is for secular society, but because of that passion, it lets you know that you have been impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's in you doing great things. He'll continue to do great things in you. Impact three. God allows U-turns. Resurrection impact three tells us that God allows U-turns. Verse 33 says, so they rose up early that very hour, watch this, and returned to Jerusalem. Stop right there. Notice. They returned to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, y'all, was the place where they blew it. Yet the text reads they returned to Jerusalem. You mean to tell me that God did not write them off because they blew it? You mean to tell me that they could go back and take up where they left off? Is the text telling us that when we fall down by God's help, we can get back up again? That's exactly what the text is telling us. That's exactly what resurrection impact is about. It reminds us that God allows you turn. Text is telling us that just like for the disciples on Emmaus Road, life gets tough sometimes. Forget about all this fluff and this flowery bed of of ease, religion, and nothing never goes wrong, and you'll never have another problem, and everything will always be just right in your family all the time. Forget about that nonsense. Life gets tough sometimes. 
don't always. We haven't always made the right choices. But the text teaches us resurrection impact tells us that God allows U-turns. So no matter how messed up the situation is, no matter how embarrassing the situation, no matter what people say or think about you or me, God allows U-turns and that's all that matters. The Bible is full of people whom God allowed to make U-turns. It's amazing. Joshua chapter 2 reveals the story of a harlot or a prostitute named Rahab who made a U-turn. In fact, this woman is in the very lineage of Jesus through Dave. Joshua sent two men to spout Jericho. It was Rahab who helped the spies escape. And when the king of Jericho sent men to kill the two spies to search out and kill them, it was Rahab who turned from her wicked ways and turned to God to help the spies. And God saved her and her family. No matter what people think about it, no matter what people say about it, Rahab, what she used to do and where she used to go and how she used to act and how many men she had been with, it didn't matter. All that mattered is that God allowed, based on her faith, U-turns. It is what it is, y'all. Acts chapter 9 tells of Saul, who's later known as Paul, Changed, name was changed to Paul, made a U-turn on the Damascus Road. You remember him? He was, he was breathing out threats and murder against the followers of, of Jesus. And he was confronted by Jesus on the Damascus Road. He fell to the ground. He heard the voice of Jesus trembling and astonished. He looked and said, Lord, what would you have me do? Verse 8 says to him, watch this, y'all. Arise and go into the city of Jerusalem. Make a U-turn. Go back to the same place where you had wreaked all of this havoc. And you will be told what to do. So Saul made a U-turn change from being a murderer to a missionary. Won't he do it? Can't God do it? Won't God allow you to make a U-turn? Oh, praise his holy name. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32 disrespected his father, spent all of his inheritance on a far country, hit every club on the strip, parted like a rock star, slept around, hit bottom, came to himself and said, how many of my father's servants have food enough to eat and here I am perishing from hunger. Here's the U-turn, y'all, in verses 18 and 19. He said, I will arise and go to my father. In other words, I'm going back to the place where I messed up. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But if you just make me one of the highest, sir, I'm making a U-turn. If you just make me one of the highest, sir. Make me like one of the highest, sir. His father lovingly took him in. And then last example is one of my favorites. Luke 19, 1 through 10 tells the story 
of a greedy little tax collector. This joker love money. You ever met anybody like they just love money? They'll do anything for money, sell anybody out for money. Well, this joker loved money. But he had heard about Jesus, and so he wanted to see Jesus, and he climbs up into a sycamore tree trying to see Jesus. And as Jesus passes, passing through Jericho, Jesus looked up, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Make haste. I'm going to your house today. Now, I love this text, too. This is so amazing, y'all. The Bible is so wonderful. The text says that that, that, that religious crowd, began complaining that Jesus had gone to be the guest of a sinner. That, that's like, y'all, when somebody comes into church and, and, and they're not just dressed just right and, and maybe they don't act just right, but they have a heart for God. They, they're trying to find God and folk began to murmur, well, they are not like us, so we don't want them around. Maybe they're not our color. Maybe they're not our pedigree. Maybe they don't have degrees. Maybe they are dressed, but we don't want them around. That's that religious crowd. I'm so glad that Jesus went home with him. Went home with the greedy little brother. And that day, Zacchaeus trusted Jesus and made a U-turn. That day, Zacchaeus stood and said in verse 8, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. That's resurrection impact. That's making a U-turn. I give half my goods to the to poor. And then he says, if I have taken anything from anybody by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold. In other words, I'm going to give them four times as much. Help me somebody as I took from them. Won't God do it? And can I tell you something? When you made a U-turn, it ought to be some evidence. And when you don't stop doing what you say you've been doing, there ought to be some evidence. If you say you love Jesus, there ought to be some evidence. I'm so thankful that God still allows you turn. Finally today, impact four. A genuine impact with Jesus will motivate us to tell the story. To give our testimony. Tell our story. Verses 33 through 35 explain. So they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with him gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So they go back to the eleven disciples. And the eleven disciples are trying to tell their story. But Cleopas and the other disciples want to tell their story. And so they said, We have seen Jesus, he appeared to Simon, and they told about the things that had happened to them on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Notice when Cleopas and the other disciples went back to Jerusalem, the disciples who were already there gathered and said to them, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. But the two were like, Y'all wait a minute. We got to tell our story. Ain't God good like that? Yeah, you ever been with anybody? They want to talk about Jesus, and you trying to talk about Jesus. I mean, you trying to tell that's what it's about. Yes, yes, yes. He said, 
They said, let us tell you how our eyes were opened during the breaking of bread. Let us tell you how our hearts burned within us while he talked with us on the road. Let us tell you, let us tell you, when, when, let, so, so, so it is with us, when Jesus saves us, when, when Jesus has delivered us, when Jesus has brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light, let me put it this way, when Jesus brought you out of that situation that you knew you couldn't get out, when you, when you know you should have gone to jail, but you but you didn't. When you know you should have lost it all, but you but you didn't. When you know you should have been in deep trouble. When you know you should have been dead, but God allowed you to live. You want to tell somebody? We want to tell somebody that that he he walks with us and he talks with us. We ought to tell somebody that he touches us. Listen, when he changes us, when he places his spirit in us, we have a story to tell. Hymn writer Ernest Nichol states it like this. He wrote, talking about Christians now, talking about believers. He wrote, we have a story to tell to the nation. That shall turn their hearts to the right, a story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light. We've a story to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord, a song that shall conquer evil and shatter the spear and sword. We've a message to give to the nations that the Lord who reigneth above has sent us his son to save us and show us God's love. 